is the OK Outcast Podcast, your home for Oklahoma political intrigue and insight. All right, folks, welcome to the bonus episode of OK Outcasts. If you want to go ahead and get on Patreon and sign up to be a Patreon member, you will get more of this content. Brittany, how we doing? Doing awesome, Chris. It's, uh, we're just after lunch. I got some chicken fried steak in my belly and uh, good and full and feeling good. Can't complain at all. Got that chicken fried steak with a little jalapeno gravy. Oh, man. That was so good. I haven't had that in so long. (laughs) Yeah, it's one of those things you almost just can't make at home. Yeah, for sure. Well, anyhow, this is our rural versus urban episode. And to decide who goes first, Brittany is about to deal me a hand. Let's see. Here's the shuffle. There we go. Cut. Shuffle. And let's deal them. All right. Let's do it. Okay. Doing a hand of blackjack here. Hand of blackjack. First card down. Second card up. I've got a ten of diamonds in front of me. And I have a king in front of me. What are we going to do here, Brittany? I am going to stay. Dealer will take a hit. Dealer will take a hit. Dealer will stay. Dealer could have stayed at the very beginning, but... uh, (laughs) uh, You still win, because... I stayed at 12, which was a poor choice. Very poor choice, Brittany. <laughs> I, I forgot to look at the card that was face down. <laughs> so the urban guy wins, clearly, because he knows how to gamble. Yes, and the rural lady just naively got got her money taken from she her. She <laughs> stayed on a 12, people. This is why... Talk about conservative. (laughs) (laughs) I'm supposed to be the conservative one on this podcast. Um, Okay. So we've been talking lately about why urban voters and rural voters are so different. You don't have to be a political expert to look at any heat map and clearly, just undoubtedly see where the more liberal voters are and where the more conservative voters are. So my theory on this goes as follows. I had a stupid accident. I was sharpening a knife and accidentally cut off the very tip of my thumb. And I uh, wanted to get an ambulance there to have it checked out. Admittedly, the medical advice my wife was giving me was very accurate, which is that I needed to use more tightly wound compression. But we had sort of a disagreement on whether it was worth calling 911. And I believe that it's because I grew up, you know, uh, we, we pay a buck a month to our water bill so we can have 911 service. 
in in Oklahoma City that covers your your ambulance coverage. That's correct. Yeah. So, do you think that reliance? I mean, if I call the cops, they'll get here in three minutes. If I call an ambulance, they get here in three minutes. I mean, within three minutes, there was a fire truck, an ambulance outside my house of when the 911 call was placed. Do you think that uh, is different? Because how long would it take you if you had to call 911 to get some kind of emergency (laughs) response? Yeah, like where I'm at now, it would probably take uh, in southern Oklahoma... The nearest hospital is probably a good 30 minutes away. Um, if, we, if we're if we lucky, the ambulance sometimes sits right out on US 81. It might only take 20 minutes to get there because <laughs> they'd be able to go fast, you know, fairly fast. And uh, yeah, it'd be at least 20 minutes, though, for anybody to show up, be it law enforcement, ambulance. There is a volunteer fire department in town, but they're really more for like fires. A grass fire pops off or something. Yeah. They're not there all the time, so it would be a good 15 to 20 minutes by the time someone got to the station, unlocked it, got in all their gear, got the truck out. <laughs> sure. And having worked with volunteer firefighters, you know, they uh, do the best they can, but uh, and actually, yeah, yeah. This is no knock on them. It's just the the realities of the practicality of it. Is there's just there's going to be a delay. You know, in Oklahoma City, you got a you know fire stations within a couple miles of anywhere you might live. A couple blocks. <laughs> yeah, in some many cases, a couple blocks. But this is a big city, Chris, that goes out to some outlying areas that aren't quite as close but um, that being said there's a full-time group of people there ready to like jump into the truck at a moment's notice you know absolutely they're not having to show up from home you know who they might have been eating dinner might have been laying in bed who knows yeah you know that's just the practicality of it it just takes longer when all that gets factored in so you know we've talked before about guns Um, being a huge issue, I think that what we're discussing right now is actually a way bigger issue than guns. I can name, and I won't, but at least half a dozen neighbors on this block that are armed. I don't think it's about guns. I think it's about self-reliance. What do I do if I am afraid of a threat? I call the police. What do I do if I have a medical emergency? I call the paramedics. What do you do in a uh, rural situation? Uh, you, you try to handle as much yourself. You know, if I were in a situation where I had had a pretty deep cut, you know, we would use our first aid knowledge and skills to do the best we could with the wound. And if we couldn't get it to stop bleeding, you know, I'd probably get in the passenger seat and my husband would drive us probably to Wichita Falls because the the hospital we're closest to is maybe, you know, not the best hospital ever. So it'd probably be a 45-minute drive into a better hospital. 
um, and that's how we'd have to handle it. Well, I'm. I just want to give a shout out to the paramedics here in Oklahoma City because they actually dropped by to check in on me and dropped off a little baggie with medical supplies. Um, oh, that's cool. It is. Now you will notice right over there, we have a first aid kit. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, and below it, a prepper kit full of things in case power fails, because sometimes it does. Um, but that's another thing. Uh, when the grid fails here, um, again, we're reliant on uh, OG&E to get it fixed, like, right away. Um yeah, and while while they're hurrying up to get to these urban areas where there's a lot more people, <laughs> the rural folks are often waiting one, two, three days, sometimes more. Well, we I mean, the last ice storm, we waited about two weeks and some change for them to fix. Yeah, that, that was a particularly historic ice storm. It, and it, it hit so early in the season that all the trees were still too heavy. So that uh, really... Oh, uh, yeah. We took massive tree damage. Just made it real bad. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I, I think that's that self-reliance thing, you know, you guys can basically live completely off the grid if you need to, right? Absolutely, and we do a good chunk of the time. In fact, several episodes of this here podcast have been recorded, you know, on my end, completely off-grid. Um, Thus the technical issues we have faced. <laughs> Sometimes there is issues with it, you know, um, uh, particular since we were, you know, just moving on to our new land this summer and having to really do a lot of work. Um, but... I, I think you're right that it it's bigger than guns, but guns are part of it in the whole self-reliance argument. Because one of the reasons rural folks, quote-unquote, cling to their guns is because they know if they are in trouble and somebody comes to do them harm at their home, they don't have the luxury of law enforcement showing up in three minutes or less. That's not going to happen there. Um, if you're not ready to defend yourself, then you're not, you're just not doing it right. Because you cannot expect law enforcement to be there to protect you in that kind of way. And, you know, so, so therefore, guns become a necessary everyday part of your life. And the idea that, you know, that the government would try to take that away from you in some ways is very scary to rural folks because they want to maintain that self-reliance. And, and that does make sense. Um, and I, the, the threats here in urban areas are just quite different than the threats in, I think, rural areas. We, I, I don't know if you've noticed coming to Oklahoma City occasionally, um, the indigent population, um, you know, just homeless people, has just exploded. Um, and I think that probably changes a lot of OKC and Tolson's perspective because we have so many more 
homeless people. I mean, just hanging out. So that is a nationwide urban problem right now. And it's funny you bring that up. And I, I didn't actually plan on discussing this today, but I just recently finished up listening to a uh, two-part series on the podcast Behind the Bastards all about why is the rent so damn high. And <laughs> mm-hmm. so housing prices have gone nuts, and it's not because of the pandemic It is not because of inflation. It's actually because of a couple of guys in the national real estate market who created software that basically allows uh, real estate management companies who rent places to people to basically price fix. And it started basically... uh, They basically got everybody figuring out how to make their rent charge based on this software algorithm. What that has done has, it's basically created a a price fixing without it being actually officially price fixing because no one's actually meeting to discuss it. But the software is spitting out these numbers and all these property managers are saying, oh, wow, you know, we've never would have been able to raise the rent this high if my property managers had to actually talk to people about this. I could never have got them to go along with it. But because it's the number the computer spits out, everybody just accepts it. And that's what the rent has to be. (laughs) Even if it means empty rental units, they make it up by making more per unit to where they can afford to leave more sit empty. Yeah, um, and that's playing a little fast and loose, but um, it's definitely fiscally advantageous. <laughs> it just sucks for people that you know don't want to live in their car or on the streets. It really does, um, and you know, to I've I've seen it in my own life. You know, when when we went. The last time we rented a place and went to the next one, it was a pretty dramatic increase despite, you know, being further from the city and, you know, in a relatively similar, you know, type house that we were renting at the time. And and it was one of these companies that, you know, just is one of the national rental agencies that handles all this and... Well, and then if you want to try and buy a house, I know here in Oklahoma, we have a great, awesome fiscal impact, um, you know, with things like uh, Tulsa King and reservation dogs coming in. But California moving in the um, reverse grapes of wrath, uh, the rental prices in our neighborhood, they're taking down older houses and putting up California style houses with flat roofs, which is dumb because <laughs> we They'll do learn. <laughs> uh, yeah. There's a reason we have sloped roofs here. Like if you, would you ever consider if you were building a house in Minnesota, having a flat roof 
fuck no. <laughs> I, you need you need it to be able to withstand snow and not have it all just pile on and end up crashing your roof in. And and we don't get a huge amount of snow often. But no. sometimes we do. But sometimes you do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and um, you lived in California. Uh, did you ever see it snow there? Uh, not in San Francisco at all. It definitely does in the mountains, but you know, one as long as you're along the coast, never. Uh, I believe I did read that in San Francisco history, they had one winter where they got some snow and ice that it got just below 32 degrees in San Francisco for a day back in like the 30s. <laughs> so um, is it true that in California when it's like a light drizzle, people are coming in in like ponchos and galoshes and stuff? Uh, maybe in Southern California. Um, de- well, no, in, not, in, definitely not Northern. In San Francisco, it's foggy enough and kind of just kind of that foggy, drizzly, is pretty much three quarters of the year like people are used to it but i've heard stories of socal definitely people can't drive and they're real you know real bad at handling rain in socal uh yeah um i've heard a number of um uh, jimmy kimmel was actually the one that joked about it like it was a light drizzle in LA and people were coming in just <laughs> dressed like it was a, a hurricane or something. What is this water coming mm. from the sky for? What's going on? The sco- the water <laughs> belongs by the beach. That's where the water lives. <laughs> Not in the air. Yeah, def- uh, definitely uh SoCal for sure. Yeah, uh Northern California, it's um like especially when you get all the way to Tahoe, like they they know how to deal with it. Um, you know, one of the states where Democrats do better in rural areas than pretty much any other state is my state of Min- my current home state of Minnesota, which is also the only state where the state Democratic Party isn't just the Democratic Party; it is the Democratic Farmer Labor Party. Socialists. So the DFL and the DFL, yeah, socialist to a degree in in the same way that Oklahoma farmers are socialists. They just will never talk about it like this. You know, all the government checks they get for either growing certain crops or not growing certain crops, all of those farm subsidies that make our agricultural system work. That's socialism. And the farmers up in Minnesota understand that their subsidies are the same as, you know, somebody getting some welfare. And so they don't necessarily look at social welfare programs as a negative, despite being rural, self-reliant, freedom-loving people. They still understand a certain amount of we still know we're part of the whole social net and there's still a lot of understanding of that that they play into that and so they do still vote some to some degree dfl although what you're finding now is as 
as most of those rural counties have been taken over by corporate agriculture and there's far fewer family farms, they've become more Republican as, um, you know, they no longer identify with those subsidies and things like that. And so it's easier for them to see an urban family on welfare as being a, a, a taker while their farm subsidies are something different because they don't, they aren't working on the farm anymore. So they don't even know that. Yeah, farm subsidies drop. I'm like, fuck it. I might as well put in a crop. <laughs> uh, uh, and that's stolen from Alpha House, something that all of our listeners should listen to. Watch, um, anyway. Uh, watch. I mean, you can also listen to it with your, <laughs> with your ears. Um, let's be sensitive to those uh, listeners we may have that can't see. It's true. Um, it's true. So, fair, um, fair. You're, you're just... All over the map here, as far as how liberal I, you are. Um, no, I clearly uh, have uh, disdain for those with disabilities. Yes, so much. Um, right. You're always tipping over people in wheelchairs. I just, <laughs> it's really disgusting. It's it's terrible. I tell you. Um, this, this is sarcasm, by yes, the way, in uh, case uh, anybody just not getting that. <laughs> well, as Elon Musk has said. You have to say parody. Uh, I am about to tell you a joke right now. Parody. And, um, the uh, not not to be confused with bipartisanship, which is also parody in both senses. But um, parody, P A R O D Y, not P A R I T Y. <laughs> parody. <laughs> uh, or P A R R O T Y. Which is something completely different. <laughs> English is so goddamn weird. Um, but anyhow, uh, so I, I think we've really broken down why rural voters and urban voters, I, I know you say guns are part of it. I don't think it's near as much of a part of it as you do. Well, I'm... Just telling you, they they tell me every time I talk to them that guns are a big thing for them. So, so. it's a it's a perceived part of it. Yes, um, um, and and perception is reality. Yeah, and and for me, you know, I'm a gun owner. My husband's a gun owner. Like we're pro gun people generally, but I you know we also understand that you know a group like the NRA has its own ulterior motives, and so... They're not pro-gun owner. They're no, pro-gun they, manufacturer. Exactly. And that's that's where we've got to find some common ground, and that's how we try to reach people when we're talking to them about the gun issue in rural areas, is we get down to the crux of it as like, well, you know, we love guns, but we just can't trust the NRA because they're they're out for padding their own pockets and they're not out for us. And that's starting to get through a little bit, especially now that there have been some legal cases against Wayne LaPierre, the president of the NRA, for misusing its funds and things like that. So people are starting to get it, but for there to be common ground found on the gun issue democrats have to clearly say we do not want to come take your guns away from you 
and they need to reassure people about that because it it's very easy to get these folks worked up into thinking you're trying to destroy their way of life and they take their way of life very seriously the these aren't stupid people you know i think a lot of a lot of urban folks maybe had kind of looked down their nose a little bit at rural folks and think they're all dumb and while there are some dumb ones there's a ton of smart people out in rural areas but it's very easy for them to feel like you know things look real different now when they turn on a television than they used to and they 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 have they have legitimate fears and concerns that we need to think about well one of the things that i also have noticed um as you've started living a more rural lifestyle is um you sort of rely on not only your neighbors and your friends who might also be your neighbors uh like that that relationship i i have noticed with my in-laws who are in northwestern oklahoma um and like okay when you guys get together for like breakfast or lunch or dinner or whatever um you tend to hang out for a while right yeah you kind of you you sit there you eat a meal together you chop it up a little bit talk about what everybody needs to get done that day you know and you kind of take it easy sip that coffee get you know get really feeling good before you get out and start tackling your projects yeah and i it's it's just not as hurried you don't feel the crush of like oh i better go get this done right now because somebody's gonna be breathing down my neck (laughs) and that definitely is the case um i mean while you were traveling up here today by the way was your drive pleasant yeah good deal that's actually great visibility today i was able to see mount scott from us 81 which that's a good you know 50 miles away so that was cool that's awesome um but i i think it's been pointed out to me by multiple people if you're traveling a long time like let's see we've been hanging out here since 11 o'clock it's now 2:33 in the afternoon um and you travel here and since you don't have the vehicle right now you're kind of stuck at my house but um i I think it's more normal for that to transpire would you say that's true like if you're going to travel somewhere and go visit people yeah you're going to hang out for a couple hours because why why drive a five hour round trip for like you know a 30 minute meeting you know like yeah that's fine i'm not saying i wouldn't possibly do it or haven't had to do it sometimes but you know you definitely if you're getting together with people you like and care about then you want to make the most of that uh that time when you take that long drive in so you know on that subject i've noticed whether urban or rural the native community here in oklahoma tends to have that mindset even if you're only driving uh, 
up or down the turnpike or um, or even in the same city uh, there tends to be a sense of um, when you get together you get together for a while I'm getting some feedback there there did that help now well <clears throat> in that this is a bonus episode I, I do want to talk about one other thing, though. Okay, cool. And this is something I hope Democrats understand. You don't have to give up your values to reach rural people. And my example of this is Chickasha, which is where I went to my undergraduate um, in Chickasha, just this last weekend, uh, one of the local bars in town held the first ever drag show in Chickasha, a county seat of Grady County, uh, 15,000 people in town, a small, very rural, very conservative community. And even in this time where, you know, QAnon and these right-wingers are pushing all these trying to scare people and voters with drag shows and trans people and whatever. Chickasha hosts their first ever drag show. They said they had over 300 people show up and the newspaper covered it. And when the Chickasha Express star posted their story about it with pictures onto Facebook, almost all of the responses were either the like or love emoji only a couple people picked angry or sad. Almost all the comments had things like, oh, this is so great to see. This town really is starting to open up and be more welcoming. And so don't, don't feel that because people are rural, they're going to be easily scared by people who are gay or trans or something like that. They can get with the program and be cool with it and um, don't feel like, you know, I don't like the centrist types who try to push the idea that Dems just need to shut up and not talk about the trans issue or something. That's not accurate. What, what you can't do is talk to people like they're stupid or talk to them in such odd language that it's not understandable to them meet people where they are but don't just avoid the subject entirely and seed that ground because there are a lot of more open-minded people in these communities there are and um i will tell you i've been to uh this place that i'm going to promote in enid big country meets and if you can stomach seeing actual butchering going on uh you should definitely visit there if you ever happen to be in the fine town of enid and they will proudly talk about in this more rural setting how they get all their meat from uh cattle ranches within a six to ten mile radius and they're very proud of that and that they locally butcher their meat and they believe it's more environmentally friendly 
and they talk about how the uh, um, cattle is actually butchered in the field, which is far more humane, and they're concerned about that sort of thing, like, because it has two advantages. One, it's more humane, and also, it makes the meat taste better, because the cow isn't scared to death when it's going to die. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, just thinking like, oh, they just hate the environment. No. They love pulling stuff in. It's, it's more expensive to run that kind of business, and their prices are higher. And, and the guys who, like, roll coal and do dumb stuff that don't seem to care about the environment, they don't represent rural America. They represent some idiots that even the folks in the rural areas don't like them. <laughs> like They think they're idiots doing yes. idiot things. If you want to go hunting or fishing, you want the environment to survive because those things need balance and mo- even most rural folks understand that so just meet people where they are you know yes um you absolutely can we want our waterways to be clean for fishing and for well other wildlife um we don't want to overhunt or underhunt uh just you know hunt the right amount um which is why there's deer season. Uh, we've got a bunch of deer. Yeah, shit, if anything, we've got too many deer. Mm. Um, yeah, and we have too much cedar as well. But. Deer, deer are one of the species that has done really well because of humans, because we started building all these suburbs where we set up a nice buffet for them after killing off all of their natural predators. Mm. <laughs> so they're doing better than ever. <laughs> yeah. Um, and if, again, I would go to this, if you do not, if you can't go into some place like Big Country Meats and see a cow getting cut open on a bandsaw, um, then don't eat meat. If you can't handle that, meat is not grown in little packages that Chris, you get at Walmart. Chris does not speak for the rest of the podcast. Eat meat even if you can't handle that. It's fine. We're humans. We're omnivores. But I, I, I think <laughs> if you can't handle knowing where your meat comes from, then don't eat it. If well, you, you need can it, know where it came from without having to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well we're gonna have to agree to disagree on this one because i believe that if you you can't handle uh you know um and honestly if if you want to get really grossed out and you get your meat in the cellophane packages at walmart or even whole foods um uh well whole foods probably less so but walmart I mean, if you've ever been to a slaughterhouse, uh, you know, that, uh, that, that, that memory will haunt you. But um, punching a cow in the forehead with a little pneumatic thing, um, they pass out, use a forklift, lift it up, or a tractor or something. Um, there is actually a really good episode on Netflix of uh, The G Word with Adam Conover. Uh, where he goes and with the USDA meat inspector and hangs out in a meat plant all day. 
it's real interesting stuff yeah um i i find the process fascinating and um what i would say just at the end uh, of this part of the episode is um buy more expensive meat and buy less of it <laughs> budget for better quality meat and buy less of it that i can agree with <laughs> okay we've come to an accord um yeah. and uh you know you don't need to know the chicken's name you don't need a portfolio on we don't uh, want to go all portlandia here oh this one was named fred <laughs> <laughs> he lived a happy life um yeah like don't need to go that far but just kind of check your sources a little bit and for the love of the Lord, please don't buy those tubes of meat from Walmart. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Shane, Shane won't touch those. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't even look at them. Uh, um, that, that, like, I, I, I'm using quotation marks here to say meat. Oh, <laughs> um, well, they're meat, all right. I don't know which meat, but they're uh, meat. Um-ish. Uh, <laughs> Meat adjacent, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, but anyhow, well, I think we've uh, kind of beat this cow to death, so to speak. Um, and now we're going to butcher it and a feast. All right. Well, it's been great, y'all. Um, this has been another fun episode. Uh, sign up for our patron program and um, uh, you'll get more awesome, fun content like this in the future. Absolutely, Brittany. And what do you say we have some ice cream afterward? And by the way, remember, you sign up for Patron, you get those two, one of two stickers. Which is your favorite, Brittany? Snake or Care Bear? Snake. All right. So sign up um, and let us know, Snake or Care Bear. And after we give away the first two, We'll be giving away a second to a couple weeks later. So enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy this bonus episode. And Brittany, I guess we're out. Adios.